Good morning, everybody. This is Pastor Ralph, and I'm here to share God's Word this morning and to enjoy a time of fellowship with you, even though we're distant, and hopefully allow God to speak to each and every one of us uh, with a word that I believe that He has for each of our hearts this morning. In getting started, I do want to be able to lift us all up in, in prayer. I know that God continues to be with us. His love is there for us, and His hand is upon each and every one of us. So if you would join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children, those who desire to follow you, to serve you, to do your will. We praise you as our God. We come before you to lift your name up, to glorify you, that your name would be praised above all else. Now at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is our desire, Heavenly Father, to see your kingdom grow and to see your kingdom come. And thank you for everything you're doing in our lives during this time of seclusion, of being shut in. Continue to speak to our hearts and continue to draw us closer to you. Continue to do a great work, a mighty work in our hearts. We come before you as a people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, resting in your grace and mercy and your forgiveness. You are the one who has saved us and you're the one who keeps us. So we do cast our cares on you. We cast our concerns towards you. That you're with our, our friends and family who are sick and suffering, with those who are recovering from surgeries. That you continue to be a healing in their lives. We look, look to you, Heavenly Father, for our strength. We look to you as the one who will strengthen us each and every day. We look to you as the one, as to the one who gives us peace each and every day. And may we find ourselves at your feet, being thankful for everything that we have and everything that we are, and finding true peace, the peace that can only be found in you. I thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you have made. May it be another day that we rejoice and we are glad in. And I thank you for everything you have in store for us today. As we begin to look at your word this morning, as we begin to seek you out, as we begin to have a place in our hearts where we hear from the prophet Malachi this morning, Lord, I ask you to continue to speak to us. May we inspect our own souls. May we look in the mirror into our own lives and understand where we're at. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've begun in us and the work that you'll carry on to completion. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I do ask you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. I am going to read this last chapter in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, it's from the prophet Malachi, and they're the last verses that we have in the Old Testament before we jump into the New Testament. God's word says, Surely the day is coming. It will, be, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But you, 
But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So as we jump into Malachi chapter 4 today, uh, as I said, it's the last chapter in Malachi, the last chapter in the Old Testament, and we get to a point of God, again, speaking to the Israelites. And, and I really looked at this passage in the whole first part of this passage is a big section, which I, I would say if I took a road sign and applied it to a, a warning sign, it would be a big road sign that said, do not enter. Don't go down this road. Do not enter. Don't go there. It's the big yellow caution tape that is around an area of disaster. Stay out. Uh, that is the sign that I would wrap around this whole uh, beginning of the passage of Malachi chapter 4. An interesting side note, as I was studying through Malachi chapter 4, depending on a Bible that you would pick up, uh, in, a, in a Hebrew Bible, Malachi chapter 4 is actually part of Malachi chapter 3. So a little bit of a side note, interesting fact for you as you look to Malachi chapter 4, and if you ever pick up a Bible and say, why, there's no chapter 4? Well, it's most likely it's the last verses of chapter 3. But with this, I do use that road sign of a big do not enter for this first section of Malachi chapter 4. It's one of those signs where you know that there is something on the other side of that caution tape of that sign that is dangerous to your health. It's dangerous to your well-being. You don't want to go there. And here in Malachi, the prophecy of Malachi, he is... Continuing on from verse 18 of chapter 3, where verse 18, and I'm going to backtrack to last week, verse 18, Malachi says, And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So if you got that verse, again, it's a distinction between those who are righteous and those who are wicked, a distinction between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. And we then roll into chapter 4, and we get a better understanding of chapter 4 as, Ma as Malachi starts to talk to the Israelites about the result of being on one side or the other side of that distinction of the wicked, those that don't serve God, or on the side of the righteous, those that do serve God. And so as Malachi calls that out, we get the result in chapter 4 of those kinds of actions. Uh, this is something that Jesus dealt with over and over. So I'm going to jump into the New Testament and all throughout this morning, as I share, I am going to give you a ton of scripture verses. I believe the Bible interprets the Bible. And when we read the Bible, quite often we may not understand a passage, but we quite often find that same kind of passage somewhere else in the Bible that gives us a very similar translation, a very similar explanation, and helps us to understand the other passages that we were looking at as well. And so, again, that verse 18 and coming into chapter 4, a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not, I want to read to you a lot of verses 
that come from the New Testament and from the words of Jesus and from the words of others. Uh, Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Did you get the distinction? Uh, if you have the righteousness, righteousness of the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. It has to surpass that. Uh, Matthew 7.21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, do you see the distinction? There are some people who, when Jesus was talking, was saying, well, Lord, didn't we do this for you? And didn't we, didn't we cast out demons? And didn't we serve you and do all of these things? And Jesus says, I, I don't even know who you are. Get out of my presence. And then there was a distinction between those and then others who were following God and who were the righteousness of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of, he kingdom of heaven, but only those, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, as Matthew seven twenty one. Another verse, Matthew 18, 3. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, Jesus is drawing a distinction. We need to have faith like a little child and believe in God and believe in his righteousness and believe in his salvation. And it is that point that the door is open for us for the kingdom of heaven. Now it's Matthew 18, 3. I'm going to go to Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And there's a whole passage where God was explaining, where Jesus was explaining the, how difficult it was for someone who was trusting in riches as their salvation, who was trusting in riches to meet all of their needs in life. And because of their trust in riches, it was difficult to enter in the kingdom of God because they would not be willing to tr transfer from the trust in riches over to a trust in God. And so, again, drawing a distinction between those who serve God and those who don't, don't serve God, between the wicked and those who are righteous. I want to jump forward into the book of Acts, and it's a, lessons from, a lesson from others. Acts 14.22. Acts 14.22. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Again, drawing a distinction between people who are entering into the kingdom of God and people who are not entering the kingdom of God. And so with all of those verses that I was going through, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump back to Jesus' words in Matthew 13, 49. Matthew 13, 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Wow, that, that's a real distinction. At the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. I'm going to go to the words of John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 12. From John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 12. Talking about Jesus, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. Gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, we get the imagery of Jesus Christ coming 
and he's gathering up the wheat into the barn. Those that are righteous, in, in the analogy we're given, those that are righteous gathering up his wheat into the barn, and those who are wicked burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So take in Malachi chapter 3.18, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. We get into, Matthew, into Malachi chapter 4 and begin to get an understanding of what God's talking about there. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to pull out three points. The first one is my big sign, do not enter, yellow caution tape, stay away, uh, dangerous. You don't want to be there, you don't want to live there, you don't want to go there. But we have to look at the first couple verses of Malachi chapter 4. And then from there, draw into two other places that Malachi talks about that I believe where God wants us all to be. In the first place in Malachi chapter 4, for all of us to see is God is a consuming fire. Don't miss the point. Consuming fire. Malachi 4.1, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. They are going to be consumed. Now, when we're talking about the prophecy of Malachi, my understanding of the prophecy of Malachi was pointing forward to the destruction of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, when Titus, who was the leader of the soldiers at that point, uh, who would eventually become the emperor of Rome, he attacked Jerusalem and burned it to the ground. He burned the temple to the ground. There was nothing left. And this attack was described by the historian Josephus, and he estimated that over one million Jewish people died during the attack. Was this the hand of God? Was this the prophecy that Malachi was talking about, the consuming fire of Lord bringing destruction? Here's what Titus, Titus reportedly said, he, he reportedly refused to accept a wreath of victory, saying that the victory did not come through his own efforts, but that he had merely served as an instrument of divine wrath. And that's coming from the heathen Titus, where he says, I merely served as an instrument of divine wrath. And there we have Malachi 4.1, the day was coming and it will burn like a, a furnace. The consuming fire of God would come down and destroy Jerusalem. And with this consuming fire, there was no one that would, would be able to stand in opposition to the ways of God. I want to jump back to some Old Testament prophecies that were given. Isaiah 30, 27. See, the name of the Lord comes from afar with burning anger and dense clouds of smoke. His lips are full of wrath and his tongue is a consuming fire. I want to jump to Isaiah 33, 14. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with the everlasting burning? And while the prophecy of Malachi 4 points to Israel's future, it also points to a, a future day for all those who are wicked, all those who do not serve God. Those who have their sins forgiven by believing in God and believing in His forgiveness, only because of Jesus, we will escape the consuming fire of God. Revelation 20, 13 through 15. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. 
anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here's my big do not enter sign. My yellow caution tape. Every warning sign you can ever think of that says, don't go there. Hebrews 12.29, our God is a consuming fire. God calls us, God calls each and every one of us to draw us out of the consuming fire. He says, draw, draw near to him and he will draw near to us. It's a choice that we actually all have to, have to make in our own individual lives. It's a choice where last week we talked about the refiner's fire. Do we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and trust the refiner's fire to come into our life and to purify us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Or are we going to cross that yellow caution tape? Are we going to go beyond the sign that says do not enter and, and live and dwell in the place where we have God's consuming fire. We choose to either go down the path of wickedness where we are not serving God, which is going to lead to consuming fire, or we choose to serve God, to trust in God, and to live with God for, forever and allow Him to snatch us out of the consuming fire, the consuming fire that burns and destroys forever. And when we choose to draw near to God, we are choosing the curing friend. And that's where I'm going to segue into the next passage of Malachi chapter 4, because the consuming fire is God's consuming fire, the eternal punishment for all those who do not trust in, in God as Lord and Savior, all of those who are not considered the righteous, all of those who are not serving God. But the snatching out of that is because of a curing friend. Malachi 4.2 but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. The curing friend is when we throw down the do not enter sign and run quickly to him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. And are safe. Are we running to Jesus? Are we headed to Jesus? Are we trusting in Jesus? Are we dwelling in the land of the wicked where there will be consuming fire? We need to be moving towards our curing friend and trusting in the curing, the healing that comes from Jesus. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. There's an old course that says, In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. When Jesus went to the cross, he, he went there and he opened up the door to heaven where ultimate victory awaits all of us. There's a day of celebration that waits every Christian believer when this life is over. Now, I've been there where the underdog is in an athletic event and fighting to win the game. And in the end, the underdog pulls it out and they have the victory. And when the victory is, it happens, there's all kinds of celebration. Everyone on the winning side is jumping up and down. There's all kinds of cheering. There's all kinds of screaming. The fans are all screaming and cheering in the bleachers. A grand celebration. When there used to be this thing called basketball and somebody would win the NBA championship, there would be partying in the streets and, and people would be running up and down the streets and hanging up the flags and celebrating. We won, we won, we won. 
There would be parades in the streets a couple of days later, going down Main Street because we, we finally won the championship. All kinds of celebration. Let's bring this back to God and say, there is heaven. There is heaven. There will be dancing and celebration because our curing friend has come. Our curing friend has brought to us the victory. It's the salvation that is found in no one else but Jesus Christ because he opens the door to victory. He defeated death. He defeated sin on the cross. He is our curing friend. When we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Going on with verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the overseer and shepherd of your souls. There's an old song that says, sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions, bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. And the course goes on, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll walk around real somber. We'll be, oh, we finally got to heaven. No, we'll sing and shout the victory. There's the victory that is won when we trust in our curing friend, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. If you're like most people in the world today, you may be thinking, when is the day of Corona going to come to an end? When is life going to get back to normal? I want you to stop and think about that question just for a second. When is this all going to end? When can we return to normal? When's the day of Corona going to be done? I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to normal. I want you to think about normal for a second. I want, to, I want you to think about normal. Is it your deepest desire in your heart? Is it your deepest desire in your heart that things get back to normal? In a way, I hope not. See, before Corona, this is what I remember. I, this is what I remember in BC, before Corona, BC, before Corona. All of my friends, the people that I love, not all, but people that I loved and cared about, they were worried about cancer. And I think each and every one of us knows somebody who has cancer, who had cancer, who died of cancer. They're the things that we worried about. We worried about heart disease, people dying from heart disease. Is there ever gonna be a cure for cancer? Is there ever gonna be a cure for heart disease? We were worried about marriages falling apart. We're worried about when are we going to stop killing babies in the, in the name of choice? We were worried about when is child slavery going to end? Think about it. Is your deepest desire to go back to before Corona? I don't want to go back to before Corona. I don't want to go back to before Corona. I want to go back, way back, to the day when those who claim to be Christians walk in righteousness and live for God and call wrong, wrong, and call right, right. I believe that's what our curing friend, Jesus Christ, wants to do in each of our lives. I believe that's the work that he wants to do to get us to a point where we celebrate Jesus and we are dancing around like a baby calf who is well-fed 
and know that God is control of all things and we rejoice in the name of God. We rejoice in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our deepest desire should be to taste and see how good God is and allow our curing friend to bring that victory in our lives. Victory over sin. I want to go back to a day when there was victory over sin in Christian people's lives where we celebrated the fact that I no longer am trapped by that sin, that God has broken the chains of sin because of what he did on the cross in my life. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. There's the curing friend. And it keeps on going on in Malachi chapter 4. And this is where I'm going to get to the third point. We start off with that whole do not enter, the consuming fire of God. And we get into the curing friend. And it all exists because of a coming fix. What's that coming fix? It starts in verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he's talking to the Israelites hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus Christ. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. There's the coming fix. It's the reality that the hearts of Israel had to be fixed on the fact that the Messiah was coming and would change the world. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah declaring to people, prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. He's the coming fix. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam. And through his disobedience, through the disobedience of one man, Adam, it would be remediated through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.19, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. That's the coming fix that Malachi talked to right in the last verses of the Old Testament. He's saying, look, this Old Testament's coming to an end, but there is a coming fix who is going to cleanse this world and cleanse this world and many will be made righteous. I want you to, in your free time, search through the Bible for the word reconcile. It's an interesting word. We don't talk about it a lot, but search for the word reconcile in the Bible and you'll see the coming fix, the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins was for the purpose of reconciling us to God. It was for the purpose of, of closing the great divide that was between sinful man and righteous God. His death became that bridge. It became the way for us to enter back into a relationship with God. And it reconciled us to God and it reconciled us to each other. When in Psalms we read about how good and pleasant it is for God's people to live in unity, this unity was, would never be achieved without the cross of Jesus Christ. As we're reconciled to God, we become reconciled to each other. The coming fix, the coming fix the world would need and God himself provided for us. Here's a reality. I may not like the color of paint that you painted your house. I may not like the kind of car you drive. Let's face it, Ford trucks are better. You may not like the kind of truck I drive. You may not like my attitude. 
I may not like your attitude. I may not like the things you post on Facebook and you may not like the things I post on Facebook. We can go through all kinds of differences, but there's a reality that if we both love and serve the same Jesus Christ, the same God, the, the same coming fix who entered into this world to bring reconciliation to God, if we both love and serve the same God, it doesn't matter what color your paint is, it doesn't matter what color your car is or kind of car is, what matters is we are joint heirs with, we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are both children of God and we are reconciled to God. Our hearts are turned towards each other because Jesus' blood was shed for our sins and we're both part of the same family of God. The Bible uses the word adoption when describing our position in the family of God. It's part of what the coming fix was, that we are adopted into the family of God. Think about that. Think about that analogy that the Bible gives us, adopted into the family of God. I have my background, you have your background. And we both get adopted into the same family. Do I really care where you came from? No. Do you really care where I came from? No. What we both care about is we are both adopted into this wonderful, beautiful family because there was a father who loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us that we could have eternal life. There's the coming fix. And so as adopted into the same family of God, God's about reconciliation, bringing people together where the fathers, the hearts of the fathers turn to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. All of the division gets wiped away because Jesus' blood was shed for each and every one of us and we're adopted into that family of God. God's about reconciliation, bringing us together. The reconciliation is first to God and then to each other. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all this? I want to tell you, the first thing is, when the Bible hangs up a sign that says, do not enter, don't enter. Don't get, go there. Get out of there quick. And the only way to get out of there is trusting in Jesus Christ as the curing friend and the coming fix. He's the one who stands at the door and knocks. The question back to us is, will we open the door? See, Jesus will knock on the door. But unless you get up and go and open the door, he's not going to come in. But if we, he, if we open the door, he will come in. He will come into our hearts. He will stay with us. He will eat with us. He will feed us. He will take us and engrave our names in the palm of his hand. He will take our name and he'll write it down in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible tells us he will seal us with the Holy Spirit. And we'll be part of that family. It's the choice that each of us have to face in our lives. Will we open the door? Will we let them in? The Gaithers used to sing, and I believe they probably still sing, a song that says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm a part of the family the family of God. Have you accepted the forgiveness that only comes from Jesus Christ? It's time to change homes. 
move out of the life of the, of the wickedness, get out of that house, and move into the home of righteousness. Only the righteousness that can come from God. Allow him to pour it into your life. That's the end of Malachi chapter 4. It's the end of the Old Testament where God cries out to each and every one of us and says, I want you to be a part of my family. Will you trust him today? Trust in God. He'll be your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you continue to do in each of our lives. I thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And that whomsoever will believe in you will have eternal life. And as a result of that decision, we find ourselves moving out of the house of wickedness and into the house of righteousness. And that you impart to us your righteousness and then call us forth to pick up our cross daily and follow you to serve you, to allow you to be the Lord of our lives. Help us to find ourselves living there. Help us to find ourselves pouring out our hearts every day and allowing you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the words of prophecy from the book of Malachi. I thank you for your love and your patience with us as we try to grasp and understand those difficult words and apply them to our lives. I ask that you do the same again today. Help us to get out of that burning house and to get into your home, to get into the kingdom of God where we belong and find ourselves following and serving you. I thank you for your protection that you continue to give to us, that hedge of protection that you surround us with. And I thank you for your peace that you're pouring out into each of our lives, a peace that is beyond our understanding. And I thank you for friends and family that continue to reach out to each and every one of us to make us feel that we're still part of the family of God and that we're still loved. Help us each to find a way to reach out and love to someone else this week and find a way to serve someone else. We look forward to what you have to say to us next week as you pour into our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you and God keep you. If you have any questions, feel free to send me a message on Facebook Messenger or reach out to me in email. Call the church at Greenspring Brethren in Christ or get on our webpage at greenspringbic.org. God bless you. Love you. Have a wonderful day. You're great, wonderful people. God bless.